Welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan. I help midlife women navigate the seasons of their life and stop waiting for permission to live the life they want. So thank you for being here, friend. Do you ever feel like you're waiting on a permission slip to live the life you want? If you answered yes, then you're in the right place. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Before I introduce my guest today, I wanted to let you know I'm planning a workshop in December called Your Next Season Reimagined. Go out to my website, CynthiaMacMillan.com, and sign up for my newsletter, Exploring Soul. Be the first to know when it's announced. So I am so delighted to introduce my guest today. Nazreen Ahmed is the founder and CEO of Harbor Light Coaching and is a professional certified coach specializing in grief and loss. She's recently completed two major trainings to become certified as a positive intelligence coach and a grief educator. Nazreen's coaching is focused on helping clients address their mindset, overcome the hurdles of grief, and find stability and peace amidst a major life change. She lives in New York City with her husband, her beautiful one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and 10-year-old dog. She loves taking road trips, hiking, going to the beach, boxing, and yoga. Nazreen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. So I have to ask you, how are your... Your one and a half year old daughter and your ten year old dog getting along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an adventure for sure. It's, <laughs> I my, bet my, my my dog is terrified of toddlers. She she really so she has been um, yeah it's been it but you know they've been growing together so it's been good and we make sure my daughter doesn't pull her tail or anything like that so uh, <laughs> it's a it's a journey it's an adventure but but yeah no it's such a blessing to have both of them. Oh, I bet. So I start off the podcast with a question. What does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? You know, it's funny. I just was on another call where we were talking about um, the the cycle of life, you know, and especially in grief, there, there is a full cycle of life, you know what I mean? And And so I really love the idea that First of all, everything we go through is temporary, right? Every part of our life is is part of a cycle, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the forever and, and ever of our life, you know? And so I really like to think about the way that we change and evolve and grow through these different seasons. Um, and, and we are life itself, right? And so we are nature itself, right? And so we have to go through these cycles. And And the conversation I was just having was talking about how uh, we're not robots, right? We're meant to have these different cycles. We're meant to allow ourselves time to rest, hibernate, to, to you know, bloom and, and um, go through a rebirth. And so uh, I think it's really important because so many of us want to be consistent and want to be on it and want to be, you know, just dealing with what we got to deal with, succeeding and how we want to succeed. And we forget that, you know, there are ups and downs, there are cycles, there are seasons, and to allow for those within our everyday life. I, I just love that. And especially when you said, you know, we're not robots. We're meant to have those seasons, those cycles. 
I live in Florida, and I just went up to North Carolina because I wanted to see those leaves changing. You know, I have the, the sun all year long, and I was ready for a new season to come come forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually lived in, in San Francisco for a few years, and a, a good friend of mine um, that I met out there was always like, you know, it's so hard to remember uh, certain memories and or certain things that happen because there's no like, you know, oh, well, it was, it, I remember I was wearing that coat, you know, you know, I remember it was like super rainy that day. Like, you know, it's like California is kind of like Florida. It's just like sunny all the time. You know, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but without those seasons, it feels a little jarring, doesn't it? Yes, it absolutely does. But I wanted to ask you real quick, because when I was introducing you, Um, I talked about your trainings to become certified as a positive intelligence coach. Do you mind if I ask you what that is? Could you explain that a little bit? I love it. And um, it's actually a fantastic program. So I found out about the positive intelligence program. I think it was May of 2020, April or May of 2020. It was right at the top of the pandemic uh, and right at the top of the shutdown because we we got shut down in New York at the end of March. And I was also uh, just out of the hospital with my with my newborn. <laughs> so it was a really intense time. My husband and I, my little baby and my dog <laughs> in the apartment, just like, what is happening? And I found out about this program and it sounded, it really it attracted me because A, I was on maternity leave, but B, I was like, I need some mental fitness. I need some help. And that's exactly what this program is about. It helps you identify. So we all have a judge, right? But then there are sort of nine um, saboteurs that they have identified. So maybe the hyperachiever, maybe the victim, maybe the controller, the stickler, the avoider, right? The restless. There's all these sort of different uh, saboteurs and, and that's survival mechanisms, right? Or defense mechanisms that we've developed. And what this program does is help you first take the assessment so that you figure out which are your top saboteurs. And then throughout the program, you learn about what um, what they identified as your SAGE. Um, so SAGE has five different aspects. It's empathy, explore, innovate, activate and oh, sorry, navigate and activate. And you do these very short exercises, very simple exercises every day on on app on your phone to build up your sage muscles, which is parts of your right brain, uh, or, or yeah, prefrontal cortex and empathy circuitry in your brain. And to help sort of diminish or respond to your saboteurs, which is part of your, the older parts of your brain. It's a brilliant program, and I did it for the six weeks. And even though I was in lockdown, you know what I mean? It was sort of focusing on me and my husband um, or my relationship with my husband. I found it so beneficial that I was like, I want to do the training. I want to get certified. And so over the course of the next 10 months, I went through the training and then applied and got got certified in March of 2020. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, that sounds really interesting. It's a brilliant program. You know, over half a million people have gone through this program. Originally, it was sort of created for CEOs and and um, corporate um, executives, but it, it really has expanded. And and kids, even up, you know, around 12, 13, 15 can start doing this program. You know, and and really start to understand. Oh, look, like there's there's this you know <laughs> one part of me that's judging everything, including myself, and and really abusing me. You know, and then there's other part of me that I can build up that's going to be able to help. You know, help help me see the world differently, help me see myself differently and help me have a better life ultimately. Oh, gosh, I love that. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> Please do. They're, they actually, the, the, the first six weeks, it, it's totally free. You could do it. And, and they're starting a new cohort soon. So I can send you the information. Okay. Please do. Yeah, absolutely. 
So what has your journey been like to becoming a professional certified life and grief coach and leading grief recovery coaching groups, you know, your healing circles, your sensitivity training? What has that been like? Has that always been your trajectory, so to speak? I'm trying to think like, there's no part of my youth where I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to work in grief. I want to work with, you know, people who've gone through loss. You know, I actually spent most of my adult career um, working in theater and television production. Um, So I worked on Broadway for years as a wardrober, helping actors get dressed and undressed, you know, all kinds of stuff backstage, quick changes and whatnot. And then I I moved into television for a few years and um, uh, went in, you know, when there were days where there was a large cast and they needed extra people to help out. Um, And so it was a very different, very different from what I had um, intended to do. But I got into grief work after, actually, I got into coaching, I should say, after my sister passed away. So this was 2013, at the end of 2013, she passed away suddenly. And I, I had no idea how to deal with it. I had no idea how to deal with it. And at that point, I was living out in San Francisco and um, immediately was like, I need to go back to New York, where I'd spent um, over 10 years at that point. And um, within a few months, I had moved back and I was working on Broadway and I was feeling awful every day, all day, you know, just um, completely mourning it and mourning my sister and trying to figure out how to stand up every day and how to get up out of bed and how to breathe and how to how to deal with this new reality. And, and you know, I really felt like I had lost my faith in life, you know, that I could trust that every day, every person that I loved would be would would continue to be in my life. And it took a long time. And there was a lot of different kinds of grief support, whether it was therapy or support groups. I, I saw a shaman for a while. I was doing acupuncture. I was going for hikes and, and walks with my dog, going to the beach and doing all the things, exercising, you know, doing all the things I could think of to do. And I pretty quickly, once I started in working on Broadway again, I pretty quickly realized like I, I can't go back. You know, too much of my life has changed. Too much of myself has changed. And I, um, I, I want to find a career that feels more fulfilling and feels like it's sort of moving me in the direction that I'm, I'm now headed. And so I hired a life coach. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. And I was like, you know, I, I, I had some very limited experience with coaching. And within the first session with this coach, um, I was like, okay, hold the phone. I want to become a coach. How do I do this? And so literally the next day I signed up for for the year-long training program to become a life and business coach. And then maybe about three, four months into that program, I found out about grief coaching. Um, one of the people in the program told me about grief coaching because I was still very, very much struggling with the loss of my sister. Got to work with a grief coach eventually after a few months of hemming and hawing and being too scared to open up Pandora's box. Finally worked with her and, and soon after that got trained as a grief coach. And I absolutely love it. It's It feels so good to be able to give back and to be able to support people along their own grief journey and to be able to help give them the tools and resources and and really help them uh, work through so much of, of the devastating loss that they've been through. Well, Nazarene, I want to give you my condolences on your sister. I'm very sorry. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I miss her terribly, but I also have done a lot of work, you know, to be able to have this conversation and not feel overwhelmed or feel the pain, you know, that I used to feel. Do you mind if I ask you, 
because you, you you said it after you know a few months you finally started working with a grief coach because you didn't want to open Pandora's box. Do you find a lot of people have that same feeling that they don't know what to experience or to expect, so they just keep pushing that off? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I really, one of the things I'm a big advocate for is learning how to deal with loss because we're not taught, you know, even as kids, like, I don't know, you know, how, how it was in your family, but certainly in my family, it was, don't worry, you know, if you, if you've lost something, we can always get another. So I remember when we were younger, we had bunnies and my, my father was like, we will get my, my sister another bunny because she was devastated at the loss of the, of her bunny or the, her parakeet or so, you know what I mean? So like we were taught we can replace the loss or, or we shouldn't feel bad, you know, or there are certain like coping mechanisms that we use to deal with our sadness, but it doesn't actually address how we're feeling. You know, it doesn't actually help us feel better in any, in any real uh, um, tangible way. I really think that we, that most people tend to avoid grief as much as they can until it becomes too much. And I certainly had learned to compartmentalize, you know, and, and try to just get on with my day and get on with my life. It was sort of working, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't really working. And I, I have a lot of clients that tell me that this is their one time a week where they can grieve, where they, the, you know, because I, I work with a lot of parents, I work with a lot of, of, you know, younger children, I work with a lot of people who have busy lives and lifestyles and work and, and you know, whether they work in a company or entrepreneur, they got to move, you know, they've, they've got to have uh, the, the rest of their life sort of continue and, and um, they're, they're juggling a lot of balls. And so it feels like this is the one time that they can give themselves where they know that they can be in a space of grief and still be able to move, you know, through the rest of their day if and, if and when they need to. I started a death cafe about a year ago. Are you familiar with, with yeah. those? Yeah. And, you know, I don't, sometimes I have the same people show up month after month. And sometimes, you know, a month will come around and it's all totally new people. But I, what I find is, is that when people come to the call, they have no idea what to expect, but just being able to talk about death and dying and grief, leaving the call, just being able to say those words makes them feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if most people will just say some sort of cliche and try to change the subject. Do you know, like if you tell them that you've lost someone recently, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. So how, you know, how's the weather? You know, I mean, like they don't, they don't want to have that conversation. We're not taught on how to hold space for people. We're not taught on how to witness and be there for someone without trying to make them feel better or to fix how they're feeling or, you know, uh, talk about ourselves instead and maybe something we've gone through, which then takes the attention off them. You know, so I think it's so important to have these safe containers, these safe spaces to be able to come and have very frank conversations, you know, and I, um, uh, I think it was like 2017, maybe that I attended some death cafes and I actually got to know a, a number of people and a lot of them were going through grief or, or had experienced something recently, but didn't know, you know, or didn't have anywhere else that they could go that they felt as comfortable talking about their experiences. That's right. I have had people say that the things that they're saying to complete strangers, they cannot even say to their family members. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So do you have a favorite grief ritual and how important our rituals in our healing journey? You know, I, um, I think they're very important. 
um, I, I try never to, to prescribe anything to anyone because we're all so different. But I personally find them very comforting and, and feel that, you know, they can definitely provide a lot of comfort and, and you know, in a way feel make you feel more connected, you know, to your person or to your people. Um, like I'm thinking back to someone uh, who told me years ago she has um, just a tiny little shelf um, set up uh, in in her in her space and and on that shelf has a picture of her father and her brother and a little candle that she would light and she would just go and visit with them um, pretty much daily you know and that was something that that brought her comfort and you know she'd light the candle say a few prayers or or say something to to both of them and then be on her way um, you know and I think I think that's beautiful you know I. Um, I have a, my own personal ritual. Um, so my sister died just before uh, Christmas. And so on the day uh, um, of her death and also on Christmas, I um, uh, light a candle and I talk to her and I might write something to her. I might just, you know, think to her, think of her. Um, but I try to do something um, that honors her in that way or that, that makes me feel connected to her. Yeah, you know, and, and on, on her birthday, I like to um, donate to her favorite um, charity. So, you know, there are certain things that I like to do that just make me feel like I'm continuing her legacy or being able to stay connected to her in some way. And yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important and valuable. And not everybody, not everybody else feels that way. That's right. Yeah, because we all have to do, like you said, we're all so different that what may work for someone else because I love by the way making a donation mm. on your sister's birthday that is a that is just a great way of remembering her like you said you. honoring her on that day thank you I want to talk a little bit about secondary losses and a lot of people may not have heard that term but you know the death of a loved one it's not just one single loss. There's a lot of losses that follow after that, that people may not think about. Could you just talk about secondary losses a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I'll use the loss of a spouse. Um, so I, I think that's a really easy way to kind of demonstrate. Um, so when you lose your spouse, not only do you lose your person, right, you might also lose your co-parent, you might also lose uh, financial stability if that person was was bringing in the most of the income or all the income. Um, you might also lose some of your couple friends that were you know uh, friends with both of you, right? Um, you might also lose your your intimate partner, right? So, so I mean, like, there's so many different losses that you go through when you lose one person, right? And that person, you know, uh, I'm thinking of my husband, he, he takes out the trash, right? I, I would lose the person who took out the trash, right? So there's so many different kinds of losses that we go through when we lose just one person, um, because we all have these roles in our lives, and they have certain roles that they play in our lives. And so all of that goes. And then we also lose our the, the dreams that we had, the expectations that we had for our life and lifestyle, you know, with, with your spouse, especially you're thinking and hoping, you know, long age, long life, right? There's a lot of dreams and expectations, you know, plans that you might have had for vacations or things that you want to do, certain purchases you want to make, the way that you want to raise your kids, you know, all of that goes, right? All of that comes to an end. So when we say we've lost someone, it, just like you said, there's so many losses that are correlated to that and, and, and come with that one loss. And I think um, that's the thing that most people don't know how to um, 
don't necessarily know how to help with or know how to talk about, you know, like as, as a griever, um, it was really hard for me to talk about, you know, the different things that my sister was to me, you know, or was for me. And people just were like, oh, wow, you lost your sister. Okay, I'm so sorry. You know, but they didn't realize that I lost, you know, basically uh, one of the few people that I've known my entire life, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so there's there's a tremendous impact when we lose someone. And those secondary losses in some ways can be harder because now we have, you know, to figure out, okay, what are we going to do about our finances? How am I going to raise my kids this, if I want to be a single parent, if I'm going to be a single parent right now? Do I have to try to be both mother and father to them, you know, or mother and mother, father and father? You know, like how how can I fill in this gap, so to speak? And it's an it's a incredible burden to bear on top of going through grief, on top of losing your person. And I don't mean to spring this question on you, but do you have two or three tips to help somebody in that grieving process to, and also with those secondary losses? Mm-hmm. I mean, first and foremost, I always say, please get like a ridiculous amount of, uh, of support. You know, get as much support as you possibly, possibly can. Get more than you think you need. Get, get so much that you feel uncomfortable you know what I mean? Whether that's um, with the grief itself or with your children or with your finances or what, you know, like find and use as many people as you can, you know, professionals or friends, whatever it is, family members, whoever it is, get a, a ridiculous amount of support because especially when you're grieving, you are so compromised, right? You are so at a, at a reduced state, so to speak. And I think we pretend or we expect and demand, right? Our judge and our different saboteurs expect that we should be operating at 100%. And I think that's um, so unfair and also very unrealistic. So that would be my first tip. The second is, especially with for parents, you know, who've lost a spouse, I just want to encourage you to remember that you are enough as a parent Right. Because um, so often, we're, even when we're, when we're not grieving, we're worried about being enough for our kids and being good parents and good role models. And and, you know, remember that depending on your children, depending on their age, you know, they're they're going to look to you to understand how to grieve. And so um, the more that you can offer or model um, a healthy way to grieve, I think will support your kids. But just know that, you know, you are enough. As, as a parent, and um, they they love you, they need you, and, you know, as much as you can, spend time with them, validate them, hear them, um, answer their, their questions as difficult as it might be, um, or, you know, find a, a confidant, maybe somebody that was friends with your spouse or a, a relative that they can also kind of lean on during that time. So maybe you're not you know, shouldering the entire burden of answering all their questions, you know, or, or dealing with all of their grief. Yeah, try to try to um, uh, give yourself the grace, you know, and and allow yourself to be in this reduced state, but know that you are still enough as a as a parent, as a human, um, even when you've gone through this loss. I love that you said we're actually modeling how to grieve to our children, because that is so important. And I and I don't want to make this about you know me. But when I, when I lost my mother as a child, I had no one to model that. So that when you said that, I mean, I felt that through my body because that is so important mm-hmm. to be able to, to model that for your children. 
And it, it actually brought me to what I was wanted to talk about next. You have a great website with lots of information. And I read your blog post, she may feel broken, but she's still a woman of worth. Can you go over worth, what that yeah. actually means? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so worth is an acronym for willing, open-hearted, respectful, tactful, and hopeful. Um, and really, this article is geared towards anyone who wants to support a woman who's grieving in their lives, because especially as women, we already feel like we have to do it all, right? We have to be the parent, we have to be the the, the worker, we have to be, uh, you know, we're carrying the mental load of our entire family, you know, and all the different things, all the different hats, plus taking care of ourselves, right? And so we tend to feel drained no matter what. But especially when we're grieving, like I said, we're, we're at that, you know, really reduced state. We're at the compromised state. And um, so if you happen to know a woman who's grieving, you know, there are things that you can do. Um, the first is just to be willing to, to listen, to be there, you know, to be, like I said earlier, that, that safe space um, without trying to fix her, without trying to um, tell her, you know, why she shouldn't feel bad or how you're lost when you lost somebody, it was this and that, right? But just really being there for her and willing to listen. And then open-hearted, you know, without judgment, right? If she is having a really rough day, you know, if she maybe is not grieving in the quote-unquote right way or the way that you think she should be grieving, just have an open heart, you know, don't try to to do anything more than be there for her and be with her, be respectful. Right. So that includes, um, not comparing losses that, that includes not telling her why, you know, she should feel this way, or it's been this long. Why is she still feeling this way? Tactful, you know, be, be kind with your words, choose your words a little more carefully. If, you know, she's gone through a specific loss and like, let's say she's, you know, uh, gone through a miscarriage and you're pregnant, you know, like try to be tactful in situations like that. And then hopeful, you know, I think we all, especially in grief, need some hope. You know, we need some something to kind of um, attach to, to cling to um, some light. And, um, you know, again, I don't want to say minimize the loss, but offer some hope of, you know, if nothing else, you know, I, I'm here for you. If nothing else, you know, you've got somebody who's, who's happy to, to walk with you along this journey. And so, you know, it really is hopefully uh, for people a way to, to give them some ideas and tips of, of how they can support a woman who's grieving. Yeah, no, they, I thought they were absolutely wonderful. And they're so easy to remember, you know, with the acronym. So now that you've gone over those, I, I, I hope people take those to heart. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's um, so much fun to, to start to come up with different ideas and blog posts and um, everything I do. I, I hope it's hopeful hopeful and helpful to someone, uh, whether it's they're in active grief or, or uh, supporting someone else. So what does self-care in grief mean to you? You know, I think of the very basic foundation of self-care as getting enough um, movement or activity, um, eating well, and sleep. I think those are the, like, the very basic foundational, um, please try to at least do these if you're in grief. And sometimes that's all you can do. And sometimes you can't even do that. Do you know what I mean? And that's okay. You know, but if our aim is to like eat well, you know, keep our, our alcohol intake low, keep our sugar intake low, 
um, you know, get some kind of activity. Even if it's just going for a walk around the block or something like that, trying to make sure that we sleep and sleep enough and have some good quality sleep. You know, those are the, the basics of, of self-care. Um, and self-care really, you know, means different things for different people. You know, for me, I have a number of different um resources and things that I use as self-care. Um, but I always, you know, if depending on the person, I always recommend things like acupuncture or Reiki massage, you know, can be a nice way to get a physical release, B- putting yourself first, whatever that really like bottom line, self-care to me means putting yourself first, whatever it is that you need, that's healthy and going to help you keeping yourself at the top priority list, you know, make sure that you don't fall to the bottom because again, you've got that mental load and you've got to take care of the kids and you've got all these projects at work and you're just so, you know, busy that you forget yourself in the meantime. I think um, grief is one of those rare occasions where it really has a stop and reassess and look at what we're doing and what works and what doesn't work. Right. And I think too often, you know, on a regular basis or too often in sort of real life, we put ourselves at the bottom of the list and we forget to take care of ourselves at all. And so, you know, whatever it is for that individual in terms of their self-care, I just encourage them, make sure that you're at the top of the list and you make your self-care what it is that you need to do for yourself, non-negotiable. Like you, nobody gets this hour, you know, nobody gets this time. Nobody gets to interrupt you, you know, for something that they need instead. This has to be uh, a non-negotiable. So it's a, it's a regular part of your routine, regular part of your life. And I love all those. And and a couple things that popped into my mind as you were talking is about being kind to ourselves, you know, and you talked about that a little earlier when we are trying to be both parents as an example, you Mm -hmm. know, being kind to ourselves. And I also think you talked about how making that hour your time and it's not to be interrupted. What do you think about coming up with a no list? And by that, I mean, maybe tasks that you don't want to do right now, because you're just not able to and being okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Or delegating. (laughs) Find someone else who can do it for you. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, no, I I tend to focus on things that we can want to do, you know, I mean, things that would support us, but a no list, I think it's brilliant. And and, um, (laughs) these are the things that are just going to get knocked off the list altogether, right? Exactly. What advice would you give to another woman who's looking to embark on a career working with grief? Like, for example, if they're listening to this podcast and they get so inspired, they were like, I want to be a grief coach. What kind of advice would you give them? Oh, man. Um, First, please take care of yourself. (laughs) Right. We're talking about self-care, especially in grief. You know, when you're working with people in grief. If your grief is unresolved, if you have things coming up for you that have have uh, resurfaced, so to speak, make sure you're taking care of yourself. You know, have a coach yourself. You know, talk to a therapist, counselor, whoever it is that you need to talk to. Um, but just in general, self care. You know, like I think most entrepreneurs, myself included, um, started out maybe a little ambitious or or. We had ambitious expectations, I should say, of like how long things would take, 
how success would come, what success looks like, right? And I um, I always remind people, you know, this is a marathon. <laughs> you know, yes. don't try to sprint as I did and, and pace yourself. You know, um, I don't want to say, you know, limit possibility by any stretch, but also um, make sure that you have the foundations that you need, whether that's finances, whether that's support, whether that's um, education, you know, make sure you have these foundations to help support you along your marathon. You know, like you need, you need water, water breaks, you know, you need to be able to uh, do stretch breaks, right? So make sure that you're getting all the things that you need, and you have them before um, really embarking. Um, Because I know a lot of coaches who are no longer coaches. And I know a number of grief people who are no longer working in grief, uh, because it's intense, because it's, it can be overwhelming, you know, because it can be really difficult if you're if you want to help people, it can be really difficult to understand that just holding space and being there for someone is so much more helpful than like trying to change them or trying to give them advice or, you know, no, 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 but like that, that that's not true. You know, it's like that wanting to help sometimes comes from a place of like, oh, I, now I can see everybody else should see what I see, you know, and I think we have to be careful. It's like, no, <laughs> you know, like this person has a different perspective and it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that they need to be changed. They just need to, to be held. Mm, that's great advice. So while we're talking about advice, what advice would you give to your 18 year old self about the season of life you're in right now? I so love this question because it really made me stop and think. And, you know, it was actually when I was 16 years old that I decided I didn't want to have kids. I was 16 and I was like, I never want to have kids. This seems like way too hard and way too intense. And, and, you know, if I look back and I was talking to my 18 year old self, I'm like, stop thinking that at 16, you know how your life should go. Please don't try to make life decisions right now, you know, allow yourself and the season of this, this, you know, period to, to unfold. Uh, you know, in the in the uh, world of positive intelligence, I'm a controller and very much so. And this is from years ago. And, and you know, I, I would love to, to revisit myself at 18 and just be like, try to go with the flow more, try to um, stop trying to control everything and allow life to change and you to change and you to evolve. You know, I'm so thrilled with my daughter. I mean, yes, life is a lot harder, but so much better, you know, so much better. And uh, I look back on on my 18 year old self and I think, wow, there was just so much like trying to control everything, trying to know everything, trying to prepare for everything. And and I've learned to let that go quite a bit. That is just wonderful, wonderful advice. Thanks. (laughs) So how can people work with you? How can they, your website, your social media, give us all um, all the details. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Check me out at Harbor Light Coaching. Um, So that's Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, um, harborlightcoaching.com. That's my website. There, people can book a free consultation um, if they're interested in group work. I have a wait list for that. If they're interested in one-on-one work, I have a few spots open right now. Yeah, some some new projects for the new year coming up. I'm going to be partnering with a nonprofit called Let's Reimagine, a fantastic organization. And um, I just had my first event with them. I'm going to be doing some more in, in January. So that's another option for people if they'd like to attend um, a low-cost you know, uh, event of mine and, and go from there. That sounds wonderful. And I will have everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you, Cindy. Thanks for having me. This has been just brilliant. Just brilliant. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Leaving a rating and review helps to improve rankings in iTunes. It shows engagement, which may attract sponsors, and it is essential for the podcast to be discovered by new listeners. Plus, it would mean the world to me. Thanks again. Until next time, live inspired.